Good morning, River City family, and good morning to those who are joining us for the first time. We're so happy you're worshiping with us today. Welcome to church. Last week, we were blown away by all of the photos and the videos of you guys worshiping at home and meant so much to see you guys singing alongside. So we want to kind of keep that going. We want you to participate in today's service using the hashtag RCCChurchEverywhere. We believe that church is not just a building, it's a body, and it's wherever you are communing with God. So we'd love to see your shining faces and how you're worshiping this morning. Again, that hashtag is RCCChurchEverywhere. Another great way to interact with our service is to use our service guide. So if you follow our newsletter, you should have gotten an email. And if not, that's okay. You can go to our River City Facebook page or our prayer wall, and you can download the guide there. It's going to have some really good things for you. It'll have the prayers and the text included in service. It'll also have lyrics to the song and some helpful articles to get you through the week. So before we jump into today's psalm, we have a few quick announcements. First off, we love you guys, and we know that many of you have been deeply affected by the additional closings of businesses this week. We know what that means for you financially, and we just want you to know that we're here for you and that we're wanting to support you, and we stand in solidarity with you, believing that God is going to make a way. If you have a need, be it physical or financial, we would love to help you. So if you could just reach out to us at needs at rivercity.com, we have an awesome care team that would love to help you in whatever way we can. Also, if you'd like to receive prayer, you can reach out at prayers at rivercity.com and we'll get you connected to our prayer team. Lastly, if you've been impressed to give in this season, we are so appreciative of it. We would just ask that you would go on our homepage, rivercitysmyrna.com slash giving. And then you'll follow the drop tabs and give to the area you feel called to. Now that we've got the logistics out of the way, let's turn to our Psalms. It's gonna be Psalm 130 or page three in your guide. And the psalm says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my prayer. Let your ears be attentive to my voice and my pleas of mercy. If you, O God, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits more than the watchmen wait for the morning, more than the watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So if you want to just bow down in prayer, we're going to pray. Father God, you are a God of redemption. You are a God who sees us and is attentive to our needs. You are a God that is making a way before we even know what to pray for. And so, Lord, we invite your presence here into this space. We invite it into our homes and our rooms and with our families. Lord, we want to hear from you. And so we just pray that you speak. We attune our hearts to yours. And we are so excited to worship with you this morning. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, River City. Uh, we want to go ahead and interact with prayers of the people. Cry out to God. Um, I want to read to you before we begin. Romans chapter 8. This is Paul's instructions to the church in Rome in the midst of their persecution and suffering. He says this, but you are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies 
also through his spirit that dwells in you. So, God, this morning we're praying that you would bring life in the midst of death, in the midst of darkness and trial and tribulation, that your spirit would bring life, even to areas that we wouldn't expect. So, God, we're praying for the universal church, its members and mission. God, we are united today in all of our suffering, in the commonality of our suffering, that all of us are suffering around the world in the same way, and that the spirit of Christ today is with us all. God, today we're thankful. We're thankful for the gift of connection, that you're changing and reshaping our priorities. That today, God, that we're seeing you in a different way than we saw you weeks ago. Now we're praying for the Arkansas church that's reported this week to have 37 infected, one dead, God, a greeter there. We pray for the families and congregants in that community, God, that you would be with them. Though we are faced with death, may the spirit of Christ bring us life. God, we're praying for our world and all those in it. How are we to pray when our prayer lives are so cramped, God, by worries about the virus that we can barely take in the fact that there was a major earthquake in Croatia this past week, that the Great Barrier Reef in Australia has suffered another mass bleaching when we know that there must be so much else going on in the world, both good and bad, that merits prayer. Only right now, neither the media nor we ourselves have the energy to focus on it. Yet, God, today, we turn our attention towards you for these things in this moment. And so, God, we're praying for the United States, God, our own nation, as it's reported this week that we have more cases of coronavirus than anywhere else in the world. God, Lord, have mercy. We need you. And we pray for low-income day laborers who are more fearful of hunger than the virus. Lord, have mercy. For governments to apply relief in the proper places, among vulnerable populations. God, we pray, Lord, have mercy. For the fear that government's temporary measures put in place for public safety will lead to cancellations of elections, extended government control, and totalitarianism. God, we pray that the shalom of God would come to governments all across this world. Though we are faced with death, may the spirit of Christ bring us life. God, we're praying for the welfare of Smyrna, in Cobb County. We thank you for the weather that springs come. God, we thank you for windows being open, neighbors walking around neighborhoods. God, that we're seeing people we've never seen before. God, we thank you for the new opportunities to see you in our lives. Yet, God, we hold intention that this week alone, three and a half million people filed for unemployment just in our country alone. God, that small business owners are closing down their businesses and struggling financially, laying people off, that many in our own community have been affected. And God, we know that you are our provider and ask that you would do so. God, for our healthcare workers, God, that you would protect them and bring energy this week. God, that they would feel revitalized to serve those in need. God, we pray for the food hungry, students affected by a lack of meal support from their schools. God, we pray that you would fill their bellies. God, that you would empower ministries like must and the cities around our community, God, to step up and call your people to do so. We pray for foster families, God, for patience and hope for parents, God, that cases would continue to move forward, God, that you would bring comfort to those kids. We pray for our hospitality workers, God, that you would bless their sacrifices. Though we are faced with death, may the spirit of Christ bring us life.
God, we're praying for the concerns of this local community and all those who suffer in it. Those who are particularly vulnerable in our own community, God, those who are older and suffering from autoimmune disorders, God, that you would protect their health. For those that are isolated and lonely, who are sitting in hospital beds, God, those who are sitting in houses and apartments alone, God, that you would bring comfort and peace. We continue to pray for Ann Bennett's health, God, that you would restore her body to wholeness. God, we thank you for the positive reports this week, for the health of Angie Lim's friends, for Taylor Weitzel's mom, God, for any others, God, that are struggling physically, God, that you would give them courage to, to step up and to speak out, to make their needs known, God, that we might ask you for healing on their behalf. God, you are with us, and we thank you for hearing our prayers. Though we are faced with death, may the Spirit of Christ bring us life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, River City, we're going to take up our offering together. So you can turn to page seven of your guide, and you can read the prayer along with me. Consoling God of comfort and love, we cried out to you out of the depths of our despair, embraced in worry and fear, so that we failed to hear your answers of compassion and hope. Later, we saw that you were there with us, willing to help us with strength and support. We bring more than our gifts and tithes today. We bring ourselves as an offering, ready to use our arms, hands, and feet to be your comforting and strengthening presence to others. We make this offering joyfully and faithfully in the name of Jesus, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Hey, River City. Hope you guys are having a really good Sunday morning. A um, couple quick things before I jump into the text today. First thing is, I just want to give a shout out, shout out to anybody that's been helping with how we've been doing service. Um, this has never been a skill of ours, so I want to say thank you specifically to Bill or William Pinto, to Chris Finner, to a couple of our friends from Square, Skylar and Matt, to Becca, to Jordan, to Mariah, to Sarah, to Lance last week, and for anybody else that's been helping get this done, if you guys want to go ahead and, and stand up in your homes, um, it's not a pride thing, but if your families would mind, just go ahead and begin clapping for your dad or your sister. If you're alone, then clap for yourself. A uh, couple quick things other than that as we jump in. We told you about the hashtag um, that we're going to be doing. We went through a couple other versions of this. We thought of Hashtag house church, hashtag church everywhere, hashtag RCCU soon, hashtag PJs with Padre, hashtag hallelujah in homes, hashtag Zoom zealots, hashtag praise and PJs, hashtag together but separate, hashtag divine online. That probably has no, okay. All right, hashtag this is us, hashtag game of thorns, maybe. No? Okay. Hashtag Christianity and Christianity and Biscuits. That's for my friends in Scotland. So welcome if you guys are still watching. Uh, you probably saw one and then we're done and that's okay. Um, if you're back, that's amazing. Um, hashtag social no distance too great. Amen. And then the real one was, once again, hashtag. Do we have to use hashtags? If this joke about hashtagging is too pop culture late, then hashtag forgive me, hashtag I'm 42. So bless you all. Um, speaking of Easter, 
Hashtag Game of Thorns, um, copyright. Um, we would love it if you guys had creative Easter ideas because the season is definitely different, right? And we're not going to spend our energy and resources gathering people here. And so are there ways we can celebrate this? We would love it if you guys had feedback. You can reach out in all of the different ways we've been reaching towards you. It's pretty easy to get information to us at this point. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Jumping in now. Sorry for the long intro. Um, what I've recognized in the past couple weeks in this new normal is that it's put us into spaces that we typically aren't in. And one of the things I think it's done is it's helped us to ask different questions to ourselves than we normally ask. It's created spaces that we aren't necessarily in, and it's given us time to do things. I think in our family alone, the snapshots from our week, we played wiffle ball probably 50 times. I cooked more meals than I've ever cooked. I did more Zoom conferences than I've ever done. I actually am the guy who now thinks I'm a professional Zoom user and treat people that way when I discuss things with them. And I've been using it for a week and a half. And so, but what has this done in terms of what we've been able to step into? I was talking to a friend this morning about how it seems that these times in our lives give us spaces to navigate things that we normally wouldn't navigate and things that are deeper that need to be thought through because the pace of our lives is typically so fast, we just kind of exist without being alive and kind of continue without actually growing. And last week we talked about the space that God was in with us. We talked about how we were in the valley of the shadow of death and that God wanted us in that space to not necessarily run out of it, even though I think we would if we could, but to allow him to be with us. And we asked the questions at the end of service, at the end of our online service, who are the people in your life that are going through the darkest valleys? And what are ways that you can jump into that space with them? And I think that's a really important way to frame how to do this life in the next season is how do I become present with those in my life, right? Like, what's this new normal offering us? I know for us, we're noticing people walk by our house that we've never seen. We live, we've lived in the same place for three years, and there are so many different people crossing in front of our house. There's young couples, there's older couples, there's couples with dogs, there's dog walking couples, there's so many people, and we don't know many of them right? And it's not the season to jump into that, but this is creating questions for us. How do, we, how do we know who we live near? Who are our neighbors? And so in this season, as we step back in this week, we're actually talking through another valley kind of space. And again, we want out of valleys, but I want you to kind of settle in as I start today. And I want to read you a passage that's been on my heart this week. It's not the main text for today, but this one comes from Ephesians. And it says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every, every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that, I may grant, that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and that Christ, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, 
according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And I noticed this week, as we talked about this passage in a group that I'm in, it seems to be the work that he's doing is the work that's deeper within us. And I've, I've gotten to the space where I'm inviting the Spirit's work in my heart and hoping that you can be there. So much so that I'm almost too comfortable in this. And don't hear me say that don't hear me say that I'm not connected to how the world is suffering. But I'm so in the space that we're in now in our homes that I've become almost at a slower pace. And so I was watching the news this past week and a phrase was stated, and instantly when the phrase was stated, it, it didn't land well with me. And the phrase was, when are we going to return to our normal lives? And I was reminded immediately how the Israelites, when they were taken from slavery in Egypt, were taken through a season where they had to cleanse their appetites. They were promised the land they were going to of milk and honey, but there was a time in between where the appetites of slavery had to be cleansed before they can have the new appetites of Jesus and the community of Jesus as we see it. And I started to think, for some of us, like if we're really honest, are we needing to return to what the the normal was for us? Has this actually created in you questions that you've been asking, and has it created a space for you to step into something more real that needs to be dabbled in? And so I wonder for you, are some of you, like the Israelites, wanting to go back to a place that was safer, maybe more financially sound, but maybe not necessarily what God has for you, right? That's the question I'm wrestling with. What are the rhythms that I had created in my life, right, that allowed me to be in an unhealthy space where growth wasn't going to happen, where I wasn't aware of those around me, and where I just continued in the things that I was doing? And if there's been any gift for me in this season, it's been the recognition that that's a thing in my life that I get to look at now. And so I am going to read you your main text today, and it's from Ezekiel. And you can open up in your Bibles, or you can look in the guide that is created by Mariah. It's Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. And it says this, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his Spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. The valley was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord, God, only, only you know. He said to me, prophesy concerning these bones, and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to the bones. I will cause breath to enter you, and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them. Flesh grew and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the Lord God says, breath, come from the four winds and breathe into their slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. 
Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say, our bones are dried up, our hope has perished. Where are we cut off? Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. My people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. If you want to pray with me. Jesus, I thank you that in a season especially like this, we've been given the text, the sacred text, the mysterious text, the word of God. I thank you that we get to read here about the prophecy you sent through the man that you selected to this nation as they were in exile, definitely in fear, definitely not seeing life, hopeless, anxious, fed up. And you gave words to this man to speak into people things that they couldn't imagine or even believe. And I can't help but to feel in myself as I read these texts that you're speaking to us, that this is a text for us, just as it was for them. And so today, God, in our driest of places, as we talk through this, as we pray, as we seek your face, connected but not together, we ask, God, that you would let these bones live in the deepest kinds of ways, not just life in a meaningless, quick-paced, but the kind of life that you've asked us to live, life to the fullest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, jumping back in, for Israel, the story and the narrative of displacement, wandering, and desiring to be home was a part of their entire story. This was their story in the Old Testament. This was how they moved. It was cyclical. They were always going in and out of these seasons. And here, as we start, Ezekiel has been given a message by God, and God's hands have taken him and placed him in it. Where last week, we're already in this, in Psalm 23, we're already in the, the valley, and Jesus accompanies us, or God accompanies us. Here, this prophet is actually placed in the middle of this, and the scene is fantastic. Like for me, there's a couple places in Scripture where an instant picture comes to my mind. I mean, you can Google search this, and there's hundreds of pictures built around this. This is the passage about the dry bones. And a very interesting thing is said here. Well, first, I just want to share with you a story because I'm going to do that. And it's this. We've had our house for roughly three years. And one of the reasons we bought our house is because it's 120 years old at least. And it used to be a bunker for one of the wars. That's possibly made up, but we ran with it, and our kids loved it so much that they bought metal detectors, have dug holes deeper than they can stand in, and have found crazy things. They have found cement block somethings that are too big for one of us to carry, pulled it out, tried to figure out what it was. They have found, they found a box, a wooden box that was hand-carved, and inside of it was a pipe for smoking probably medicinal marijuana given by a doctor. That's, that's what we shared with our kids. And then peculiarly, they've one day found a bag buried full of bones, legitimate bones, and we put the bones together, and they were cat bones. 
which is it's disgusting. And when we did that, instantly we were like, there's, there's no, there was no thing inside of us that was afraid that this, this bony bag of cat bones was going to come back. That's not even something. We were just mostly concerned with how disgusting it was and asking lots of questions about this buried bag of bones. They cleaned them off. They kept them for a while. We wanted to distance ourselves from the bones. But we noticed, as we looked at the bones, they're very dead. And it's interesting here when it talks about how Ezekiel is taken and placed in this, it says round. And it actually means that he walked around and around, almost cyclically, almost like we said about Israel, to see how dead these bones were. And it actually says they were very dry and very dead, as if bones need to be explained. And I think what it's saying is it's emphasizing how lifeless this particular scene is. This is a lifeless scene. There's nothing living. You've been sent there. God's hand and God's spirit in Scripture are a lot of times integrated. When it talks about his hand placing him there, it can also be connected to the spirit of God placing him there. And it almost instantly brings up for us the idea of being placed in situations. And I'm not going to say this because I don't think that God created or is making what's happening in our world happen. I do think that there is free will, and I think things happen. I think that God is the author of our faith. I think that he is present with us, and I think that he is taking full advantage of how to be with us and get his message to us, each of us. I don't think he's controlling this. I don't see it that way. But I do think that his spirit, and the word here used for spirit is ruach, I do think that his spirit is creatively moving in and out of our scene as he was here. But after the walk that he does in and out of these bones, God actually asks him a question. It's not him asking a question. God looks down and says, whether whether metaphorically or real, hey, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And it's almost like this coy, kind of alluring, drawing him into something like we see in the Gospels. When Jesus asked a question, it's to draw people into something that Jesus already knows, but that he's trying to make the hearer come to, come to a knowledge of. He's coy and he draws Ezekiel in and he says, can these bones live? Well, what are these bones, right? Like, what are these bones? He just walked through them twice. They're dry and dead. But, but the bones for him, it's a metaphor for his community, right? Who is this community? Who are these bones? If this is a picture of this community. This is the community that throughout history has time and time again decided to take their lives into their own hands, to separate from God, to become completely dry spiritually, to separate from his intentions for their community. It's the, it's the community that wanted to select their own king. It's the community that fought instead of loved. So when he's asking questions to Ezekiel about this community, he's not asking specifically, can these dead bones in this picture live? He's asking him, can your nation, the people you represent, can they live? And so I want to read you a quick, a quick text. This is actually a quote from James Wallace. Ezekiel's vision is given for a people who have lost heart, who are suffering a death of the Spirit, a living death in exile in a foreign land. Their temple has been destroyed. Their holy city has been plundered. Their leaders maimed and put in chains. Their soldiers put to the sword. Their young men and women either killed or dragged off into a foreign land. 
Ezekiel witnesses the soul of his people gradually wither and die, becoming as lifeless as the valley of dry bones. So the question is, can those bones live? People who have lost all faith, people who are full of doubt, can those bones live? And almost instantly, he's given what to say to them. He doesn't have to create the message. The message is given to him. Bill, could you pull up Ezekiel 37, 4 through 6? He's told what to say really in like a two-segment plan. Then he said to him, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I shall lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover your skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. And then he's given the opportunity to respond and he does. And as he's doing the action God has told him to do, these bodies start to reassemble. It's honestly a horrifying picture. Like if you were really in that scene, the only thing you'd be doing is running the other way, but it's a metaphor of what God is trying to do through his spirit to a people who have lost heart. This is a reminder to a people that have suffered a death of the spirit, people that are hopeless, that they're never going to make it home, and many of us don't even know what home is. There are people, but Ezekiel is given words to speak beyond that, not just life and being able to come home, but the kind of life that connects with the fact that Yahweh is God, and that Yahweh is speaking and acting according to the last text in this verse. They probably wanted to get through it quickly. We're tempted to quickly rush through the dry seasons in our life. We're tempted, when it's tough, like right now, to only hope for April 25th or 26th or 27th when all of our kids can go back to school, maybe. We're tempted to think maybe in May this is all gone, or maybe that second phase of this virus will just disappear and the heat will destroy it. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe your struggle was beyond this, and you're just thinking, dear God, please get me through this season. Get me through it. Instead of asking the question that I think God is asking us to ask in these seasons, what can I learn right now about myself, about the world, about my family, about my cravings, about my appetites? What are you cleansing in me through this? What are you drawing me towards in a deeper way? When I was 19 years old, I went on my first mission trip with a friend of mine, and we went to Spain for a month. And it was a hard trip for me, not because the trip wasn't led well. Spain is beautiful. We were there for a month. And then we had this thing where at the end of the trip, we were going to fly back home, we were going to stop in Atlanta, and then head back to Florida, where the, tri- where the trip was out of. And by the third week of Spain, because this environment for me was, it, it became a really hard environment. It wasn't like um, an ecstatic, fun mission trip for me. It was, I was facing myself daily in different ways than I had to in my home environment. And so by the time we were flying through Atlanta, that happened to be where I lived. And I was like, I don't know if you guys are okay with this, but I live there. I know we're going to do this debriefing like when we get back to Florida and talk about all the things God is doing, what we want to learn. But is it all right with you guys if I just stay in Atlanta with my family? And I didn't say this verbally to them, but the places I was being taken to inside 
were so uncomfortable for me to deal with as a 19-year-old who recently traveled through addiction and had seen God free me from some of that, but still was struggling with the same things that caused those addictions, some inner turmoil, some some lostness, some shame that had surfaced because of my decisions, from sh- some shame that I just felt for not even knowing why, just c- kind of who I was, I didn't want to have to tap into the questions they were going to ask. And they were going to ask them because they were good people. And so I got off the plane in Atlanta, and they all flew to Florida, and I stayed here. And I just kind of jumped back into normal life. And I saw it in their face when I was leaving the group. I wouldn't say it was disappointment but I could see that it was like they knew I was making a decision that wasn't going to help me. And in a season like this, right, like we want to get through this, whatever it is that's making us feel the kinds of feelings we want to run from, right? I'm starting to feel that in this season, sitting alone at home as as we're trying to figure out and navigate how to do church. I'm starting to feel some of those similar things surface And instead of asking the questions, most of the time I just go outside. Most of the time I just go on a walk. Most of the time I turn on my music. Most of the time I'll watch a show. Most of the time I do something instead of sitting in it and being like, God, what is it you're trying to show me right now? What have you been trying to show me this whole time that this season is creating a space for you to show me so that I can grow in you and finally live? But do we want to live, right? Like that's the question I think. Do we want want to live? Because in Scripture, valleys are always opportunities. There are two things. They're opportunities and challenges. They're always opportunities and challenges. And that's what we're seeing here. So where in our lives are we seeing this? Maybe it's not just for you this season, right? There's a stage theory. I know I've been kind of nerding out on this, but our group has been walking through Practicing the Way, which is a discipleship kind of track that we've really loved. And this past week, one of our assignments was to jump into what's called the critical journey. And it's the life of faith in six stages, developed by Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulick. And I just want to share with you for a moment. So just stay there. Calm down. It's going to be okay. It's going to be boring for your kids. But for you, it'll be okay. Stage one, the recognition of God and our powerlessness. This is the stage where we begin the journey of faith. And the hallmarks in this stage are a sense of awe, awareness of God, a quest for meaning. According to the authors, we can get stuck in this stage when instead of feeling love and awe, we think we never measure up. Many people stay in this stage and then depart. Stage two, if we travel through, the life of discipleship, the power of association. It's characterized by as a time of learning and belonging, a sense of rightness and security in our faith. It's a season filled with receiving. However, some people become stuck in this stage of developing a we-against-them mentality. None of us have ever seen that before, have we? Yes, we have. If we move to stage three, this is the productive life. This one punched me in the face, or the life of achievement. Faith at this stage is about working for God. A characteristic of this stage is growing awareness of our uniqueness and community and using our gifts for the common good, good things. Stuck in this stage is overachievement and weariness and doing well. This is burnout, where a lot of people stop and depart. But if you can move through that to the next stage, and that's why I'm, this is why I'm bringing this up, it's called the journey inward. And in the journey inward, or stage four, it's marked by a life of faith crisis. In this stage, we, God is released from this box that we've decided to keep him in, in this stage. Hold on, I've got to find my spot. We undergo deconstruction sometimes. We experience a loss of certainty with life and faith and learn to live with mystery, hopefully. 
Some people stuck at this stage are on a constant quest for answers, ever learning but never coming to truth. Being open to the cost of obedience is critical as we transition from this stage. But in this stage, we reach something, and this is why I'm talking about it, called the wall. And the wall is a place of inner choices. The author summarized as the mystery of our will meeting God face to face. And going through the wall, we go through spiritually and psychologically and hopefully in healing. But you cannot go through the wall working 60 hours a week. It requires being away and alone. The author puts it this way. It's a realization that fixing others, overhelping others, codependency or excessive enabling of others is not self, selfless service. They betray a sense of low self-esteem and desire to control. The wall is a difficult but necessary prerequisite to entering stage five, which is the journey outward. This is where you see people step away from having to be a certain thing or having to do it a right way, and they become present in the life God has given them. They become okay with their deficiencies, and they move into others and loving others well. And then stage six, the last, stage six is the last stage, the life of love and wisdom. These are people who have experienced life and are pouring into others. But I say this to say, according to this, we all reach a place in our faith where we cannot do it without God coming to help us. We can't work our way to God. We can't learn our way to God. We can't beat ourselves up so much that God loves us. We can't overachieve. We meet a place where something in our lives, typically for most people, it's a failure in life. It can be a marriage. It can be a death in life. It can be a, a massive loss that creates in you a place that wouldn't be created otherwise for you to ask questions and finally sit at the feet of Jesus and say, I do not know how to do this and become okay with that about yourself. This is the first time, as I said last week, in my life where the entire world is looking into the face of something that they cannot control. Not just America, like it was in 2001 when I was at seminary and got the phone call about what happened with the Twin Towers. Not just Georgia, as it happened in the Olympics in 1996 when the bomb went off, I was actually in the area. This is the entire world facing something and we're all being gifted, not in this virus, it's not a gift, with a season to ask questions we wouldn't normally be able to ask. I just spent a long time on that. You're going to have to forgive me if that was hard for you. You can just fast forward if you're after this. Actually, you're not going to be able to fast forward. You're going to have to rewind, and then you can fast forward, and then just pretend like it didn't happen, okay? So why this scene, though? Why this scene from God to him? What is the message here? Here's what I believe God is trying to show that we all have to see. Easter's two weeks away, right? Like this time that we celebrate, because this is the time where Jesus defeats death, the strongest enemy, and death holds no power. This is a scene about what God can do to lifeless things, to things that are not growing, and when you look at them, you can label and say, there's no growth coming. Like you would look at bones if you dug them up in your backyard. There is no life possible because I understand science. These are dead. But he's saying to Ezekiel, what do you say about these? Showing him it's not what we say about it. It's what he says about it. And for him, death does not have the last word. 
The Spirit of God, or the Ruach, or the Pneuma of God, is moving about the earth, as it has since the beginning in Genesis 2. That's the creative spirit in Genesis 2 that's actually bringing things from nothing. It's also the Spirit all throughout the Old Testament, speaking and breathing life into. It's the Spirit we see meet Jesus at baptism to say, this is who you are. It's the Spirit that leads him into the desert to refine his mindset and his heart toward God, towards God in ministry. It's the spirit that we see at the cross, raising Jesus even after that to life. That's the spirit. And I believe God is trying to show Ezekiel and the community, this is what I can do to these kinds of things. This is what I can do to hopelessness. This is what I can do to despair. This is what I can do to famine. This is what I can do to your bank account, which is not the most important thing now. This is what I can do to the depths of your heart, below the sinews, to the breath. What is breath? In this text, for this word, the Ruach, it's speaking of the powerfulness of the Spirit and the creativity. Those two words are actually what explains Ruach. Creativeness and power and what God does through the Spirit and dead things. He's the God who brings dead things to life. And not just Lazarus, which is the same spirit that this happens to, and not just on the cross, but the dead places within us. He's giving us a moment in this text to say, can your bones live? Not the ones that hold a 40-hour job, but the ones beneath that, that have the power to speak the truth into people who are broken and diseased even and trembling in fear even right now. He's giving us the opportunity to see through the example of Ezekiel. This is how my hand and spirit works in seasons where despair is taking over. And that scene is more pitiful than ours. That scene is actually horrifying. That scene has bones and dust and it's, there's no hope. There, you can't even point to a hope. And that's who he's asking. In your hopelessness, Ezekiel, in your hopelessness, in your family, in the things deeper than this, can those bones live? Can those bones live? Can they? And it's an emphatic yes. This is what he's saying to us. We're only two weeks away. And this is another quote from James Wallace. I'm actually liking him this week, so if you want to look him up, you can. We're only two weeks away from Easter. And that's the moment when we renew our baptism or our commitment to God and our identity and the promises involved. Do you believe the God of life who created all of that is? Do you believe in Jesus, the crucified and risen Lord who died and rose for us that we might have abundant life? Do you believe in the spirit of God, the divine breath of God that brings new life wherever it blows? Mortal, can these bones live? And the answer is a resounding yes. That's good. So today... Again, might have just preached for an hour or 15 minutes, but here I am. If they were to do an analysis, right, of your bones, which can actually happen. You can actually analyze bones. They've done this hundreds of years ago. They've, they've pulled up bones and been able, been able to say, this is the size of these people. This is how fast they were. This was a heavier group of people. They were mobile. This was a group of people who ate these kind of foods from the deconstruction and the study of bones. If... There was a spiritual, like, bone detecting, so cliche and goofy, but it's okay. 
what would your spiritual bones, what would be the analysis of? Would it show the deprivation of weariness and kind of non-growth? Would it show that your bones are so dry and hungry that there has been no sustenance or nourishment? Would it show, what would it show, right? Like, what are the places in you that have become this picture? And for us, it's really tricky because it can look like we're thriving when we're actually completely dry. It can look like what was happening 11, 12 days ago when this society came to a halt was actually you thriving. And you might say the statement, when are we going to get back to our normal? But you can be asking to go back to a prison like the Israelites were in Egypt. Just because it's more comfortable, I'd like to get back there. Instead of going into the spaces God is trying to take you into. What if he is involving you in a quest in this time to be this life breath through the words that you speak, through the actions, through belief that he is who he says he is, to the community you are called to? What if this next season for you is what you've been praying for and didn't know how to get to? What are the things, right, that you can ask yourself? Last week, we talked about how God in the valley is with us. A deal to know if he's not with you right now isn't if you're struggling. You're going to struggle. The valley's hard. There's literally bones in this place that God is speaking to. But if you're in it with him, you can choose the things of God over the fears. There's a way in this passage to look into the future. And if God is in the future with you, there's a way to look into the future with him that looks different than looking into the future that physically has an end we have to choose to see that version of the future, the one with God, the one that we are God's people, where he's speaking to our dry places before we see it. It's interesting to note that the place where this body came back to life was the place where all the bones were, was the dry place. The place where the most growth happened from death to life happened in the place. He didn't gather all the bones and go and set them in a seat, or set them somewhere, this life came in this place. So please hear me as I pray for you in a moment, as you walk with your families into the kind of spiritual life God is leaning you into. I pray, God, that the Ruach, the spirit that's creative and powerful, would be invited into our homes, would be invited into our meals, would be invited into those spaces we're trying to run from because of our new normal. And we ask that you, God, would help us to hear you saying, can that live? Can they live? And then carrying forward, God, where are the dry bones in our lives or near our lives that you've equipped us through your hands to be like the Ezekiels right now? To go into those spaces like Ezekiel and say, do you mean this? Are you wanting me to speak to this? Because I don't know if you noticed, but this, these are dead. These are dry dead. These are dead dead. I walked through them twice. You wanted me to speak to those? Yes, those are the ones I want you to speak to. Where are those areas in your life right now? What are the opportunities that you've been given? And lastly, God, I pray that this space that we have, we would, we would tap into your heart through the practices you've given us. Whether it's Silence and solitude, worship, intercessory prayer, breath prayer. If it's 
praying the scriptures, if it's singing prayer, if it's the text and just diving in, these spaces that we now have that are more bountiful than they were before, help us to God be led into those spaces by your Spirit's power and Spirit's hands so that the creative work can begin to restore even us the sinews and the bones and the flesh on the flesh, but even deeper beyond that, the breath, God, that comes directly from you that gives life, the kind of life that even bones and skin and sinew don't have unless they have it, the kind that says, Yahweh is my God and I will follow him and I trust that he is the God that can make even the dead things come to life. Help us to be that kind of community, Jesus. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. And We're going to end this service with an opportunity that we didn't have last week. The opportunity is we're actually creating a space from 1130 until 1230 today for you to call in. And the number to call in if you need prayer, virtual altar ministry, or just, you can just call it prayer. That's another way you can just say prayer. And it's 404-309-7540. That number again is 404-309-7540. 7540. If you would like people to pray with you, they will be there and show you how. And I just ask that you would continue this week as we carry out our lives this week to continue to try and be a hope to speak to the dry places and to invite Jesus into your own dry places. Love you guys very much and can't wait to be in person with you again. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.